Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about questions that are on all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observers today are Brian Mahalski, Health System Specialist at Zablocki VA Medical Center in Milwaukee, and Madeline Bushman, Operations Manager in the Mayo Clinic Health System, Department of Family Medicine. Today, our guest is Dr. Nick Turkle. Dr. Turkle was a keynote speaker at the ACHE Wisconsin Annual Conference, and today we're going to dive deeper into a few of the themes from his presentation. Dr. Turkle served as president and chief executive officer at Aurora Healthcare for over 12 years and is currently CEO of the Center for Health Education and Access. Welcome, Dr. Turkle, or I'm going to call you Nick, if you don't mind, since we're having coffee today. I don't mind at all, and I'm very pleased to be with you. Thank you, Madeline. Brian, would you mind saying hello so listeners get to know your voices? Hi, Janet. Happy to be here. Hi, Janet. Also happy. (laughs) Well, Dr. Turkle, um, your keynote's title was Coming Out of the Dark, Lessons Learned and an Approach for the Future. There were a few things you mentioned in that address that Madeline, Brian, and I would like to explore. So let's get started. Let's talk about your observations about how caregivers are faring as we emerge from nearly three years of pandemic intensity. Where are we, Nick? When I look at the last three years and my discussions with caregivers across all types of healthcare, I think there are a few themes that come out. Before I get into those themes, I would just like to say what what gives me um, a great deal of hope and and uh, pleasure to see is that healthcare workers are very resilient. Um, they've experienced a lot of pressures that they never had before, but they continue to care deeply about the patients that they serve, and that's the best compliment that I think we can give to anyone in healthcare. That being said, um, I think we were as a country and as a profession, completely unprepared for what was going to happen with the pandemic. We all know what the predictions were like at the beginning. We know that we thought this was going to be several months, perhaps. No one expected several years. And the pressure that that created on caregivers was really immense in in a few ways. Um, First of all, just the time and effort expended for frontline caregivers the, the burnout rate has been incredibly high because they've worked harder than ever at what sometimes feels like a thankless job. So the burnout clearly has been there. Um, they also have experienced um, what I would say is an ongoing disappointment, thinking that we were going to get to the other side of this pandemic. We had several times when we all thought we could unmask and everything would be fine. And then we were back into another surge. So getting used to that idea of um, accepting this pandemic as something different than anyone was used to, that's an important learning for the people that have been caregivers during this. Um, But I think 
if I if I focus in a bit on the frustration, caregivers have said to me over and over they feel like there was a lot of wasted time and effort. Wasted time and effort because they were getting mixed messages from healthcare officials from public health officials. And that's certainly not a criticism. I think our public health officials did their best, but they didn't know how to react to this pandemic either. So the result was people felt like they were running faster and harder than ever, and they they were not getting the desired outcomes of finally getting to a place where this pandemic was under control. So um, that's some of the themes that I think we saw during the pandemic. I think there are some lessons learned from that that I can go into if you'd like, or we can shift gears in any direction you want. I think um, a quick recap, Nick, of the lessons you feel we learned would be valuable. Yes. Um, one of the most important lessons learned during the pandemic was about teamwork. Uh, I'm perhaps a little atypical as a physician that uh, I don't think physicians have to be the leader of the team. I think what we need in healthcare is an approach that says what is best for our patient. And this pandemic gave people a chance to understand what teamwork really feels like because nobody could do it alone. Um, my, In addition to the work I do at the Center for Health Education and Access, I'm a part-time hospice physician. I get to see that teamwork every time that I am taking care of patients. So whether it's a social worker, a chaplain, a nurse, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, if we pool our resources and work together, we get better outcomes for the people we serve and, frankly, more satisfaction in our jobs. So many places in healthcare learned a lot about teamwork, whether it was emergency departments, ICUs, uh, centers that were set up in the community, like the one I um, helped to lead at McCormick Place in Chicago. If we didn't approach it with a sense of teamwork, it wasn't going to get done. And I think that was... Um, super rewarding for some people to see that we could break down old barriers. So teamwork was one lesson. Um, second lesson was the importance of mental health for our patients, um, for the communities that we serve, and especially for the caregivers. We saw such high rates of uh, anxiety and depression throughout the community, but that happened with our healthcare workers as well. And one of um, one of the perhaps benefits of the pandemic is that people are more willing to talk about mental health and behavioral health issues now than they were pre-pandemic. So we've helped to destigmatize it just a tiny bit. We're not where we need to be, but we're, we're getting closer. Um, the sense of isolation was another lesson that we all learned during the pandemic. And what I've heard over and over from caregivers is, as stressful as it was to go to work and be in a healthcare environment, they felt fortunate to get out of their homes and not feel isolated. So this sense of community becomes very important among uh, healthcare workers. Um, another lesson was uh, the extraordinary political divides in our country. And whatever people believe about politics in the past, it has been um, healthcare has been somewhat isolated from that. And now we were front and center in that sense of political divide around 
masks, around vaccination, around how we behave as community. Healthcare wasn't used to that kind of scrutiny. And I think we have learned some ways to deal with it. Um, one of the ways is that as healthcare leaders, we have to stay neutral in our, in our personal opinions because our healthcare workforce force is divided about how they feel about many of these issues as well. And then finally, um, I think we learned how unprepared we were as a, as a country for pandemic. We were actually somewhat fortunate that this pandemic was not higher in mortality than it was. As bad as it was, it could have been far worse. So we have learned as a health system how to deal a little more effectively with that than perhaps we did in the past. One of my hopes around lessons learned is that the next time we face this, healthcare systems will not each create their own pandemic plan, but will come together more effectively in regional areas to to work together and, and divide resources a little more appropriately. That's a great recap of lessons learned, Nick. Thank you for that. And um, I sure hope that next pandemic isn't anytime soon. Um, but yet I hope it um, it is soon enough. Is that perverse to say that we don't uh, lose the fact that that lesson is an important one to learn or that somehow somewhere that is in our collective memory that we could have done better on that coordination front? I hope so as well. And I, I hope it's not too soon, but I suspect even this winter, we're going to probably face another surge of COVID. We've seen recently in pediatrics what's going on with the triple threat of RSV, um, COVID, and influenza hitting very hard. So those lessons that were learned early in the COVID pandemic, I think, are being applied more effectively now. So hopefully we've learned that. Um, it seems that monkeypox is under control for the time being, but I believe there will be others that we're going to have to deal with in, in healthcare in our careers. Well, fingers crossed, we all remember what we learned. Yes. It's hard to bring up another difficult topic, but here we go. Um, you also had observations, Nick, about workplace violence and noted that as an issue of professional focus. What work are you doing in this area and what can we do as leaders to address this? Workplace violence is something that has been concerning me for the last decade as we've seen an increase in what happens, particularly to our nursing staff in various areas in healthcare. Um, I'm, my daughter is a uh, nursing manager for Ascension in Indianapolis. And I asked her recently if she would pull the nurses that, that work with her about workplace violence. Virtually every nurse that she talked to has had some episode of workplace violence, whether it be major or, or minor, doesn't really matter. The fact is our workforce is at risk. Um, what we saw highlighted during the pandemic was much more tendency to violence. Sometimes it was families visiting and getting actually getting violent about whether they had to mask in a patient's room. Um, sometimes it's been combative patients. Substance abuse has clearly led to higher rates of workplace violence. So um, I have recently gotten more involved in this because I'm very 
passionate about it. And I'm on the board of a company called uh, Crisis Prevention Institute, which does de-escalation training. They focus particularly on uh, education because uh, workplace violence is huge in schools right now and in healthcare, particularly in behavioral health and emergency rooms to train um, oftentimes nurses to de-escalate a difficult situation before it gets worse. I, I would say as a physician, I think back on my training and dealt with some issues of workplace violence throughout my career. And I had absolutely zero training in how to do that effectively. And so what we have right now is a workforce in healthcare, some of whom are, are sort of intuitively good at de-escalating situations, and some of whom have never dealt with that, but find themselves in the middle of it. So I'm a, I'm a big advocate for education of healthcare workers in how to de-escalate difficult situations, or if they are unable to de-escalate them, how to keep um, themselves and other coworkers and patients safe. So uh, I, I believe this is just an area of training that we have to take on, just like we've trained people in healthcare to lift more appropriately so they don't have back injuries, we have to train them appropriately so that we lessen the incidence of workplace violence. Well, thank you for being here, Nick. I appreciate it. Um, and so does ACHE Wisconsin. Uh, we're going to, it seems like we're kind of doing a round robin on your topics during your keynote, but this kind of goes to workforce and this next question. Uh, you mentioned while at Advocate Aurora that you created a millennial advisory group. And I think this was, you mentioned it was even pre-COVID. So as you were already identifying that you you and your leadership team needed to get in touch with the generations, possibly gaps or anything. What did you learn from that process and that group? The millennial advisory group that I established at Aurora was um, an idea that someone from outside the system gave me. And I am so thankful to that person for the suggestion because we were watching our numbers at Advocate Aurora looking at turnover rates, looking at percent of workforce in the younger generation. And um, it became really clear to me that I had a different perspective about work and expectations of work than other generations did. So I assembled this group of, um, I believe we had 16 people from various areas in um, Aurora at the time, some clinical, some not but they were all millennial aged individuals and they absolutely were key in educating me as a healthcare leader about what that generation was looking for in employment. Um, clearly more interested in work-life balance, which I, by the way, believe is very healthy. You know, I, I think we are beyond the time when we should allow people to burn out in healthcare if we can avoid it. So. They talked to me about work-life balance, talked to me a great deal about uh, how good organizations invest in communities and outreach to communities to make them better. We took much of what came from that millennial advisory group and uh, incorporated it in, into our strategic plan at Aurora. So it, it really made a difference in the direction of the organization. And I'll probably talk later about our purpose but that group was highly involved in development of our purpose statement. And um, they 
in the end made me an honorary millennial, which I, I a title which I carry to this day and, and try to try to be very proud of. They they taught me a lot and I'm very thankful. Well that's that's really interesting. Did you find that um did you expand that to any other demographics or generations or um how often we, did you guys meet? I only ask all these questions because I think there is a few conversations after your keynote talking about this, like, oh, my gosh, it's such a great idea. I wonder how much they followed up. Did this expand? So, yeah. Uh, yes. Anything else on that to give our listeners sure. some guidance? Sure. I had this core group of 16, 16 to 18 as people rotated in and out occasionally. Uh, we met every couple of months, um, usually met over lunch or breakfast and just had a dialogue. So we started out with a kind of um, clear agenda for the first meeting or two to get things rolling. And after that, we didn't need an agenda. There was always plenty to talk about. So this core group was with me for about three years and became really critical advisors. And, you know, the, the advantage is that some of those people um, because of their exposure to the strategic plan and, and discussions with me, some of them advanced more quickly in their career than they otherwise would have, which I think is really critical. So, you know, we need leaders at every age and every demographic. So it was about a three-year process. It um, expanded into other groups of millennial advisors in nursing, physicians, and uh, social workers. Um, we did not get outside of that age demographic in a formal way, but informally, I quizzed the people that were in our leadership team and on our board about their perspective based on their generation. Um, and while we were doing this millennial advisory group, we had a very large effort at Aurora around diversity and inclusion. And um, I believe that diversity and inclusion isn't something that naturally gets injected into a culture. I think you have to make sure that people really understand the principles and believe in them and adhere to them. And diversity and inclusion in a broad sense is about all kinds of things. It's about age. It's about gender preference. It's about um, race and ethnicity. And it's just about different points of view. The Millennial Advisory Group was extraordinarily helpful to me during that process to make sure that it was, it felt authentic, uh, that people had a voice. And we used that group as one of our focus groups for our um, diversity and inclusion work. I do have one quick follow-up question for you, Nick. Um, of all of the generations that are currently in the workforce, why Millennials? Like, what was the the reasoning behind selecting that particular generation for this advisory group? When when we established the Millennial Advisory Group, it was largely around um, employment demographics. They were, at that point, um, just north of 40% of our employee population at Aurora. So growing quickly in a significant population that I felt didn't really have a voice. Um, were I doing that now, I would expand that to multiple types of, of generations and, and groups so that we're always getting new input. And because I think that's important. 
It's how do you refresh it? How do you keep an organization fresh? Nick, you can tell we're interested in this because I'm going to ask another follow-up question. Um, when you look back at the three years with that millennial group, and I know this might be a hard question or maybe not, what what would you hold up as an example of an aha you had from that group that you ended up acting on as a leader? There were um, a couple of important ahas. Um, one of them was that uh, if you look at work-life balance, it really is a trade-off. And to a person, uh, the people in that advisory group were willing to um, trade down on salary for more free time and better work-life balance. That was an aha for me. And I would have to say when I tested that out, that is not true with every millennial <laughs> because some millennials wanted higher salary and better work-life balance. And, and you always have to find the middle ground to make it work. But that was the first aha. The second was um, we were very active in the community at Aurora with many uh, United Way agencies, with many community organizations that we helped to establish. And I had no idea how important that was to the millennial group. So when we had a particularly good year financially at Aurora, we would invest more in the community than, than we could have during some lean years. I had no idea how much the millennials at Aurora were talking about that on social media. I just had no idea how important it was to them. And it was like a it, it was what I believe, but it was a great reinforcer to me as CEO that if we want to attract a great workforce, we have to demonstrate what we're doing in the community in a very real way. Those are great examples. Thanks for sharing those, Nick. On behalf of Coffee with the College, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our premier sponsors, Epstein UN Architects, HGA, Hush Blackwell, and thank you as well to our preferred sponsors, C.G. Schmidt, Findorf, Paul Render, Nutanix, Plunkett Research Architects, and Quarles and Brady. So let's turn to another passion of yours. Um, you mentioned that it's important to support leaders in leading with purpose. So what insights can you share on how to do that? To talk about purpose, I have to go back a little bit to how I got interested in this because it's it's a bit of a circuitous path. But it, you know, we we learn things in different ways than we ever expect. When I became CEO at Aurora late in 2006, I was looking at the marketing and advertising approach of all the healthcare systems in Wisconsin, and it seemed so very vanilla. It just had no, there wasn't a lot of passion to the advertising. There wasn't a lot of differentiation. Everybody had the same kind of approach to advertising. So I began to seek out some advice from people who had marketed in different industries to say, what we do in healthcare is so important to the patients we serve. How do we get that across in our public messaging in a different way, whether it's website or advertising or interactions with patients. So I came across 
a book by a gentleman named Roy Spence. Um, and the name of the book is It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. He had been very involved in the marketing of places like Southwest Airlines. And if you recall way back early in Southwest Airlines, they wanted to bring the freedom of flight to the general population at an affordable rate. That was that was kind of what they started with. That was their purpose. And so I read this book, which I still highly recommend to people um, because there are some great stories about how purpose works and changes organizations. And so I called Bryce Spence and he became a friend and an advisor. And we went and talked to healthcare organizations across the country about why purpose is important and how you create a, a purpose for the organization. When we look at healthcare organizations, many have mission, vision, values, but it, in my opinion, or I shouldn't say but, I should say and, in my opinion, it's important for every organization to step back and say, why are we here? Why were we founded and why are we here now? Because sometimes that changes over time, sometimes it doesn't, but it's always worth another look to say, what is the purpose of the organization? At Aurora, um, we had a mission statement that was you know, a page long that I inherited that I could not have recited under pain of death. There is no way I could remember everything in that mission statement. I felt that we did something simple to define who we are and what we were trying to do. So working with Roy Spence, working with focus groups of um, caregivers across the organization, we created our purpose statement, which was, uh, we help people live well. That's still the purpose statement for Advocate Aurora. And it, it is about caring for patients, caring for families, but also caring for each other as um, coworkers. Um, that rang true with people across the organization and really helped us to build a different kind of strategic plan. So that purpose statement, which I, you know, I would go around Aurora and, and listen to people and ask them. They all knew our purpose and they all believed in it. And when they felt that we were doing something that wasn't consistent with it, they felt free to speak up and talk about that. So the purpose statement was initially an exercise to, to remind us of why we were there and define it more broadly. What happened is it, it really changed the organization for the better and focused so much of our effort on how we care for patients and how we care for each other. Now, um, no organization is perfect, and I don't pretend that we achieved everything I hoped we would culturally, but that purpose data was a key part of getting there. Thank you for sharing that journey, because there are a lot of um, lessons learned and, and threads that our listeners can pull just from from that story you shared, Nick. So thank you for sharing it and being candid about it. And it is always amazing to me how five words can be so powerful, right? We help people live well and so powerful that it even is a litmus test for, for interactions. So um, great example. Thank you so much for, for sharing it. You're welcome. Yeah, Nick. So that was it. Uh, so as an individual employee, knowing that purpose is is key to understanding why you're there for eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. 
but your individual purpose might be a little bit different. Uh, can you talk about what defining personal purpose might do for someone? And then what if, if one of the listeners has never really taken or done this exercise and they realize that, well, what I'm doing now is not necessarily the the end that I want to get to and they change their purpose and they're not on the right track. Do you have any advice for them to get on the on the tr- newly found track of their their true personal purpose? Yes, I have some some thoughts partly from my own journey and partly from listening to others. Um, just as an organization needs to look at its purpose, I think each of us as individuals it, it is wise for us to ask that question. Why are we here? Um, what do we want to accomplish while we're here? Uh, for me, uh, interestingly, and, and maybe not by accident, Aurora's purpose really fits very well with my personal purpose. So my, my background in healthcare, I've been a rural family doctor, um, now do hospice work. I've been fairly focused throughout my career on community and on education of other people. And when I sum up my personal purpose, it's it's really about my interactions should leave this world or other individuals feeling better than they did before they interacted with me. And while I may not achieve that with every interaction, that's that's what drives me. That's what has helped me uh, even before the formal purpose work that I did with Roy Spence, that, that was what was driving me. So it's what helped me to choose various career paths that I didn't even know I was on at the time. You know, I, I was very fortunate at Aurora that um, the previous leader, Ed Howe, gave me a lot of opportunities probably earlier than I was ready for. So I ended up having an opportunity to lead the organization, but I wasn't that's not what I was particularly driven to do. It was really around, can I make a difference for the people that I interact with? So the advice then um, to people, I believe, is reaffirm what your personal purpose is. For some people, it's much more complex, and um, some people have never thought about it, but it's a great personal exercise to go through. I actually think the, the book I mentioned helps one to walk through that. And then I'm a really big believer that if what you are spending your time on every day is not consistent with that personal purpose, it's okay to make a change. And for many people in healthcare, as I I said at the conference, I think it's been a tough three years. For many people in healthcare, they are questioning whether they're in the right role right now. And that's a really good process to go through. And for some people, what they will do is reaffirm their commitment to what they're doing because they'll say, oh, this is consistent with my purpose. It might be frustrating every day. It's difficult in healthcare, but I'm achieving my personal purpose. For others, they say, wow, I've been doing the same thing for 10 years, 20 years. I really need a change to to reaffirm or re-energize that purpose. So I think it cuts both ways and it, it can drive people in one of two directions and uh, just a great exercise to go through. Yeah. Thanks. I'd uh, 
every time every time i watch the office all the way through which is probably 14 15 times that's probably not going towards my purpose anymore right <laughs> make sure what you're doing now goes towards uh improvement in the future where you want to be but yeah we all need that downtime right right so we started our podcast today talking about some pretty difficult topics. Um, I have the privilege of asking our closing question, Nick, and I believe this question is a great way to end our conversation today. Um, you just stated this perfectly. It's been a tough three years in healthcare. So what gives you hope? What gives me hope in healthcare is, is a handful of things. Um, the first one would be um, the message that I started the podcast with, that it, it makes me very proud to look at healthcare workers and hear them talk about commitment to patients, even when it has been really difficult. That is the core, I think, of why a lot of people went into healthcare. And it, it gives me great hope that I see that now being refreshed and people feeling a, a bit better about healthcare. The second thing that gives me hope is that every single person in this country or in the world needs health care. That may be sick care, maybe preventive care, maybe mental health services, but people need health care. So we are going to find a way to deliver that in better ways over time. That's what healthcare has done. I'm very hopeful that coming out of the pandemic, we begin to realize that some of what we've done has been effective and some of it isn't. We can stop doing the things that aren't effective and get better at providing real health care for the patients we serve. And then the third thing that makes me hopeful is mental and behavioral health services. I see this growing um, quite quickly. Um, I don't think the reimbursement is correct yet for it. It's such an integral part of healthcare, but it is a growing area. We're talking about it more. And I think over the next 10 years, people have much more and better access to mental health services, and that will make our whole population healthier. Yeah, I hope that our insurance companies can catch up to <laughs> the current I times. <laughs> I do, too. Thanks, Madeline, for asking that question, because it is important in the midst of everything we've all experienced that we remember that um, being hopeful is uh, a key stepping stone to a path forward. So thanks, Madeline. Nick, as you think about the great conversation we just had, is there any stone you think we should have turned over that we didn't? Uh, yes, a couple of closing comments that I think are important to make it a complete conversation. Um, in addition to personal purpose, I believe each of us needs a personal wellness plan. And we talk about wellness a lot, but we don't take the time to think about it and practice it. The second theme that we didn't cover that I think is really important is leadership at every level is critical. And we sometimes, in large healthcare organizations, we feel like we are layered, and there are so many layers of, of administration and bureaucracy. It's so important for every leader to understand the difference they can make every day with their coworkers and uh, the, what they can do for the patients that we serve. And 
I mentioned in the in the keynote that I did that many people uh, don't realize the impact they have every day on those around them. Uh, I did a lot of note writing as CEO, just thank you notes to people or encouragement notes. And I was shocked as I walked around the organization to see those notes posted sometimes five or 10 years later. They were so important to people and I had no idea at the time. So just like our patient interactions are critical to the patient, our interactions as leaders with other people really, really make a difference. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I like that because um, I don't know. I listened to Freakonomics podcast and they had something from Michael Lewis, the author of The Big Short and uh, Moneyball. And he is just fantastic, a fantastic storyteller. And he told the story of um, I don't remember what insurance company, but it's one of the billion dollar one of the big ones now that started off by they were going to go under. But they uh, technically didn't know how to code something. So they went six levels deep or found out that going six levels deep to somebody on basically the front line and a coder and says, well, you're not doing this. That little trigger gave them enough revenue that year to keep going, keep going. And now they're a multi bit. And she is now in a C-suite after that. So the whole story, it was an hour podcast about how you need to go six levels down to find probably what the right information to get through a crisis or a problem or a project. And I believe that happened with uh, the market healthcare marketplace as well. They had a, they had a crash one day and the person that figured it out or knew what was wrong with it was basically six levels down from the top and nobody, nobody in five, four, three, two, one had any idea what the problem was. So that, yes. Yeah. I think that insight is super important. And I have um, the opportunity now as a hospice physician in a small facility to um, look at the organization from a different perspective than I had before. And that ground level look, reminds me that this is where problems are solved. Um, and I really wish that five years into being CEO, I had done a sabbatical and spent three months, six months uh, as a physician again. And I am writing a, a paper now about the need for that kind of sabbatical for CEOs to reconnect them with the purpose of their company and the people that are producing all the work. It's, it's very easy to forget that. Uh, it's very powerful when you remember it. And the Millennial Advisory Group and other advisory groups really helped me to see that and, and taught me a good lesson. So I think, I think that's critically important. Yeah, I was going to say that Millennial Advisory Council is kind of a way to go six levels down, right? I right. thought about that right, when, right before you said that. Yeah. Right. And people were so honored to be asked to do that. And I, in return, felt honored to have the privilege of sitting with them and learning from them all the time. It really changed my view of, of the world as a CEO. And ultimately honored to be an honorary millennial. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you so much, Nick 
for um, the time you spent with us today to create a podcast for our listeners. On behalf of Madeline and Brian and I, um, we really, really enjoyed and appreciated this conversation. I'd like to wrap up by pulling just a few um, themes from today's um, podcast. I can't even do justice to everything we covered, but I'll just try to, to pick on a few. Number one was the theme of teamwork. And this came through in a number of um, Nick's answers today, including a discussion about um, where we find the answers. And the answers to many of the problems that we face in healthcare are not in the C-suite, they're in the team. And so we have to continue to be creative in finding ways to tap into that team resource. Um, I want to echo something Nick said a couple of times related to mental health and everything we've learned about mental health over the last few years. And it's very clear that's a conversation we need to continue and maybe even a conversation we'll want to continue in a future podcast. Um, we also need to, as leaders, understand the evolving perspective on work in order to lead the work in our organization. And as Nick was talking, I thought about a plaque that I literally have in our master bathroom between our two sinks that says, never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. And I think that's what um, the Millennial Advisory Group um, was telling Nick. And I think that's what we as leaders have to be sensitive to in order to, to lead effectively. And then finally, um, a big lesson learned from today's podcast is that finding your organization's purpose and your personal purpose is a worthy endeavor. And it's something we should all be thinking about in terms of what do we stand for as we move forward. So thank you again to our Coffee with the College listeners. We always appreciate you taking time out of your day or your drive time to listen to us. And we look forward to our next session. This podcast is copyrighted material of the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin Chapter 2022.